Hello everyone, it's Paul here for the second episode of The Market Mojo. Um, I'm here this month with Simon. Simon, why don't you just maybe spend a couple of minutes introducing your fascinating background um, and then let's get into the questions today. Paul, first of all, it's an absolute privilege to be on your uh, your show. I saw the first one, I thought it was fantastic. Um, so my name is Simon Housen Green. I'm London-based. I've been a a journalist for about two and a half centuries uh, and in that time I spent most of my time national newspapers magazines and television working in as a crime reporter crime journalist and then as a business journalist and, and obviously sometimes those two things go together uh, the last decade of my life has been spent uh, really working in the areas of reputation management uh, and crisis management high net worth individuals large corporations uh, large organisations, charities, all of whom need to tell the story of their own existence, get their narratives right, one, to maintain and, and, and support and grow their own reputation and have the right uh, collateral there if they need to protect their reputation when, when crisis happens, which is often inevitable. Well, that's an oxymoron, but it is inevitable. You know, last, but no, I appreciate it. It is. It is inevitable. And, you know, Simon, it's interesting because um, when I spoke with Andy, I kind of described that more as this kind of front foot, the kind of positive aspect of messaging and positioning and storytelling. What fascinated me when you and I spoke is that what you're really having to deal with, and this is, I think, critically important in this values based economy, is how do you kind of tell those stories in a crucible where there's some crisis, right, where there is some you know, reputational ding and damage. Um, and, you know, maybe I'll start there. So kind of maybe talk to me a little bit about what does that look like from your seat in terms of, you know, something happens, how do you engage and, and maybe talk about, you know, the criticality of how you manage that and how do you manage that? So if we assume that uh, I am working with a particular organisation, even when they're not in crisis <clears throat> and I work closely with them, yeah. I will help them develop a narrative, a, a storytelling technique and the, and the right elements to that story to make sure that they are protecting and building the reputation. When and if a crisis comes along, you really need to make sure that the, the narrative you've had in place beforehand is not something you have to completely yeah. veer away from when a crisis takes place because that just will do more damage to your reputation. So it really is putting the building blocks in. It's like building a wall, which people can admire and look at. And if somebody starts to kick at it, you've got the right uh, ammunition and you've got the right building blocks to, to keep it strong and keep it maintained. That's a slightly strange a strained metaphor, but that's really what I end up doing. So that's one part of it. The other part is... And this is the real trick, is to make sure you are taking the people with you who you are working for, whether it be the board, the CEO, the, 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 uh, the, the risk guys, uh, salespeople, marketing people, whoever they are, and make sure they are all on board with that messaging. Because you can't hang everything together unless there is a cohesion in that messaging. So it's about, it's not evangelizing, but it is trying to make sure that that narrative permeates across a business. So I know you said you've been doing this for two and a half centuries, but um, let's assume for a second that even in the last two and a half years, it feels to me that what constitutes a crisis 
might now be kind of broader than than a while ago, right? I think we now live in a in a world where we have a very um, quick fired kind of courtroom of public opinion amplified by social media, plenty of reasons for people to be upset with your brand. So can we talk a little bit about what, what a crisis is today versus like, like, what should you respond to? What should you ignore? And I definitely take your point about making sure everybody's on the same page from top to bottom, but I'm kind of curious here, right? So about, you know, you have a narrative, you have a story you want to tell, you want to build a value in the stories you tell. That's kind of what Annie talked about, but now from left field, something happens. What does, what is that something in your world today versus two and a half years ago? And, you know, maybe talk about some of the pitfalls that, you know, in this current climate. Right. So I think the caveat to all this is, of course, you're right. In the last two and a half years, well, certainly in time we've we've known each other a long time. And in the time we've known each other, it has changed significantly. In fact, the world is very different, yeah. completely different. And certainly in the last two, three, four years, the rules have changed completely and what was never going to even be considered a crisis not very long ago can become a crisis because there is so much noise yeah. around it um and, and for that reason you it's it is a really brave call which often i would have to make or make with uh, with the people i'm working with whether you choose in some way to ignore that crisis and when i say ignore the seed of a crisis it's not about just pretending it's not there. It's about trying not to fan the flames of that crisis. So it's not ignoring it, but it is, it is making sure that you are not exacerbating the situation. That's a very tricky call. So, you know, a crisis could be anything from a small photograph appearing on social media from a member of uh, a staff just happening to be um, you know, at a restaurant right through to uh, a series of complaints from customers to uh, a media story, which uh, might be about one thing, but because of the way social media and the way journalists and the way people are, all people are able to pick up information now, one thing might actually turn into a completely different thing. And so the snowball right. effect of any um small nugget, small, you know, uh, fragment of, of ice building and building can be colossal and it can roll down a hill in directions you just cannot predict. So uh, I think the very first part of this is understanding what you call a crisis and what point you intervene in that crisis. I mean, this is Part of the skill, and I'll, and I'll stop in a minute so you can come back in, but part of the skill to all of this is actually knowing when to, how long to let things play out. Now, that might sound counterintuitive yeah. to managing a crisis, but it's not in many ways. I'm not going to use specific examples. I'm sure loads of everybody there listening can apply their own examples where they think, well, they should have done something earlier, or why didn't they keep quiet for yeah. longer? Getting that point right is really important. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I was just thinking about that timeline of something happens, whatever it may be. And I've seen that range from kind of, you know, companies that are corrupt or, you know, I've come out of a business that, um, you know, in the world of modern slavery or child labor or forced labor where, you know, suddenly finding your supply chain because, you know, it's not just your business, right? From a reputational standpoint, 
it's all of the suppliers, those second, third, fourth party suppliers who are kind of, to some extent, attached, or to some extent, they are attached to your brand. So the event happens, you're made aware of it. There's probably a point where you're kind of hoping it to really, this is kind of what you're saying. There's a point where you kind of hope nobody really paid attention. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, see these comments like, no, no, thank God we grew up in the eighties when nobody was videoing every single stupid thing we ever did. But the fact is now, everything is captured then there's probably a point where it kind of gets legs and it's like okay we need to do something about it this is presumably the point where somebody might call you simon and say here's what's happened you know mia culpa here's what i'm concerned about can you kind of maybe explain to us from an engagement point of view how do you work right how do you sit down with the ceo let's say an executive team and let's say this is a private equity backed business you know, that has investors, has a bunch of customers, and maybe customers who are typically, again, today, values-based, if this gets out, you know, customers vote with their wallets, right? We understand that. What does that process look like, Simon, in terms of building a plan and executing that plan and knowing if that plan's worked for one of your clients? Okay, well, let's assume two things. One, that I'm being brought in cold into an organization which has some problems and they know about me and they've got in touch with me. That's the first thing. and let's assume, yeah. let's try to be generic without saying what the specific crisis is going to be at this point, because actually the yeah. rules apply over a wide range of crises, right? Uh, I think the right. first thing to do would be make sure I'm speaking to the right people. And the truth is, many occasions, I might be called in by the CEO or the finance director or the CMO, yeah. somebody who knows there's a crisis and has been told, sort this out. So I come in. I would say that seven times out of 10, I will find out pretty quickly I'm not talking to the right person. What I mean by that is there needs to be more than that one person. There is a point whereby crisis can be managed autocratically. In other words, all the decisions, all um, all the down the value chain are made by one person and everybody has to be in line and be able to work on that. Now that can happen, but in many cases, given the nature of the world in which we now live, you really need to have a whole set of people on board. So I think the first thing I would do is ascertain that I'm talking to the right people. Having, and you know what? I'll give, right. I'll give you a very good example of that with one particular very large bank I worked with. Uh, when they had a, uh, they were, it's a training exercise in crisis. And they were, the scenario was being built that they had a, um, a fire in one of their main data warehouses, to keep it very simple. Yep. And uh, we tried to run a crisis scenario. Well, how do you contain that fire and how do you manage it? It turned out the only person who could possibly know how to manage that crisis and isolate the core of the problem was a guy who ran the facilities management side of the business. He was not a chief executive. He was not on the board. He was not a senior manager, but he was the one guy who knew where the keys were, who knew, who knew where the mops were, who knew how to sort things out. So that's a very extreme example, but that is a very good example of how you need to make sure you're talking to the right people. So having done that, you really need to yeah. then, before you do anything in terms of touching any nerves outside of the boardroom or the crisis management room, whatever it is, before you go public with anything, before you talk to anybody else, whether that be even the regulator. And in many cases, if you're in a situation where you have a crisis, you need to be informing your regulator as well, of course. 
So the first thing you really need to do, and this is where my journalistic background comes in useful, is actually build yeah. as thorough a picture of, as, uh, of what's going on as possible. And of course, that does mean that right. you have to have the trust of everybody in that room who you're talking to. They have to trust you and you have to trust them to make sure that they're not going to bullshit you. Because if there's one thing that is going to wreck a successful management of a crisis, and let's face it, most crises you can't successfully manage, you can contain them and then mitigate against further crises and do your best to repair damage. Making a crisis right. going away with no damage is almost impossible. Um, so really, my first process would be spend time with the right people and just make sure we've got the story right, the, 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 the case history right. And then the other part, which is about the storytelling, is we need to make sure that the way that organisation presents itself to its other members of its staff, its customers, clients, the outside world, the media, whatever, that also needs to be in line with the way you're going to manage a crisis. That sounds complicated. It's not, but it's it's actually common sense. You can't suddenly do something completely out of the ordinary and unexpected when you're dealing with a crisis for quite until you really have got your got control of the crisis and <clears throat> managing a crisis is not about flying a lot of statements, say we didn't do anything, nothing wrong, or actually, you know, bullshitting. Uh, you have got to get all your ducks in a row, horrible expression, all your ducks in the row, and you've got to make sure that everybody's on board with the story, the narrative that you're going to tell in a crisis. And that requires real Honesty is a very different, it's a sort of naff word to use. It requires openness from everybody. And that's yeah, really that, tricky. And hopefully I was going to say, I was going to say authenticity as well, Simon, right? I was going to say, to, to a large extent, it feels to me that this is a very, there's a very low threshold of, of BS. I mean, the one thing you got to say about the current kind of environment is, we are going to make you stand true to the values. And if we see that you've fallen foul or there's something that's bad that's happened, we're going to come down pretty hard. I mean, it's felt there's a very acute reaction, but similarly you show us that you are being to your point open and honest and, you know, thoughtful in your response and authentic in, in, in kind of your steps to kind of remedy, you know, remedy those issues and kind of, um, you know, regain that trust that there is a, a forgiving environment if you do all the right things. I want to touch on something related to that that we talked about, which is so much content now that goes out into the world, the stories that are told, the eBooks and the content strategies are being generated by things like ChatGPT. And, and it just feels to me in an uncurated way, it's another example of where marketers and companies generally need to be very careful about the things they're saying, how they're saying, the language they're using. Um, because again, we're just, you know, there's a, sh there's a shining light on everything that we say and do. Can you maybe talk a little bit about either advice that you've given customers there or just even for this podcast? Like what, it, what, is, the, what is your counsel in terms of the language we use, the messaging, the positioning to kind of make sure that it, it is as, again, 
sensitive and as thoughtful whilst being as provocative because of course there's so much noise in every market so that delicate balance of provoking reaction but being kind of sensitive it's it's kind of a it's a minefield right how, how do you help companies manage that well i mean you know i am old school in many ways and uh i would counsel as much as possible that my clients pay me to write the narrative rather than put a bunch of parameters <laughs> into AI and come up with something which will, yeah. in many cases, can be sound really impressive. I mean, to be honest, you yeah. can spot when something is being created artificially. Uh, all the words are there. It's, it's yeah. you know, and actually some people who are human beings do tend to write a bit like artificial intelligence Robotic, in the way that yeah. creates a narrative. Um, I mean, going back to the very basics, and you will know this from, from me from the past, that I still absolutely believe key messaging is absolute core to um, as the foundation, yeah. even if you then use some form of AI to create some of the narrative around on your website or in some of your marketing materials or whatever it might be, you absolutely need to be sitting around with human beings and, and making them really, really think over a, over a fairly long period of time of the process of getting those key messages right. What are the core values of this business? What is it really about? No, that's absolute bullshit. You don't mean that. What do you really mean? Okay, so when you're saying that, how does that translate if somebody is reading it? The old the old sort of uh, you know, way of painting the picture is you'd say, you know, people say, well, if you're stuck in a lift for, for an hour with somebody or for five minutes with somebody, how would you yeah. explain the core values of your business? Blah, blah, blah. But actually that that still rings true. And um, yeah. I... I, I guarantee that nearly every single business or, or organization I will work with, I will sit down and we will always write, let's say, okay, so let's say seven, let's have seven key messages. What is this business all about? And we work through it and we process it. We'll go back, we'll think about it, we'll hone it, we'll change it. It is crafting something. It is, I don't want to call it poetry, but it should be beautifully crafted and Every single word should count. Now, one of my objections to um, uh, AI um, clients to do who you um, which do this is it's sterile and I believe non-malleable. And even if you put different parameters yeah. in and get the, to get the AI to change what you're saying at you know at regular stages, there is no excuse really for not having as much human intervention in that as possible. Now, I understand because of the sheer amount of volume that runs through the online world, the amount of material and content that is created, this doesn't always happen, particularly when you're responding to inquiries, let's say, sales inquiries, for example. But, um, you know, I, I would say, particularly in my function, my role, which is reputation management, building that reputation and making it watertight, making it solid, it is the human intervention and the collaboration that's really important. And the more people who collaborate, the better, because they're all then then have a vested interest. I hope that answers. I think that, that does that answer your question. No, no, it, it does. It actually got me thinking. Of, no, no, it got me thinking about something related to this, Simon, which is um, I worked in a business where one of our competitors were, were operating in a market that I would say from a reputational standpoint, was just inadvisable, right? It was a market that, frankly, where there were some sanctions and it helped to reduce some of the cost, but it created some exposure. 
Now, when that when we found out as a competitor, so look, this you know this competitor, it, it you know it came to light. They obviously knew what they were doing. They just hoped they were getting away with it. But then it came to light, and then you know then there was a report about it. But as a competitor, I mean, we're all familiar with the notion of FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Of course, as a competitor, to some extent, you leap on that opportunity to say, well, look, you know, company B is doing this. We don't do that. And that's why you need to switch from them to us. How do you, how do you then turn a crisis? I mean, isn't that, isn't that Winston Churchill quote, right? Never waste a crisis. How, how do you turn a crisis back into some kind of competitive advantage, right? How do you turn that around and help sales, marketing, and the CEO to say, okay, bad, but bad to good, and here's how we kind of regain some of that credibility in the market? Right. I mean, first, Winston Churchill said a lot of things. A lot of them were absolute rubbish, and some of them were very... Everything is Winston Churchill or Steve Jobs, I think, right? Basically, we can we can just assume that for a second. Same still applies. Um, so <laughs> yeah. the, the one thing I... I'm very, very clear on very early on in dealing with a crisis is to is to hit on exactly what you said. Do not try and turn this crisis into an advantage. Do not think that you can turn this crisis into a sales opportunity. Do not think you can come out of this crisis assuming you're going to look better than you did before it all kicked off. That is not how to deal with a crisis. And if I was if I was a member of the media on the other, you know, I was the the poacher, not the gamekeeper, yeah. or the gamekeeper, not the poacher, whichever how, if way where yeah, you yeah. look at it, I would slaughter any organisation which actually tried to do that. Now, there's there are many examples of that. Um, I mean, there is one from a very very long time ago which you can check on YouTube, and I, I think. Hopefully everybody is dead who is involved, so we, we can say this. Um, if you look at the townsend Torreson disaster of 30, 40, 40 years ago or so, um, uh, a senior member of the management came out on TV in the days when TV was still on film. And he one, he had a ridiculous yeah. Stetson hat on. And the second thing was he tried to turn that appalling crisis into a way of, uh, <laughs> of encouraging people to travel with that particular that particular liner i mean you can see that that is on youtube i think still and so that i use that as an example quite a lot i mean that's the the most appalling example of it um and there are many but i would say do not there's a curve with a crisis and you're always climbing up the hill to get to the top and to coast down the other side until you can start to breathe easy again and really, it's not until you're at the bottom of the no. hill, the other side, and you can breathe easy and you can take a rest that you can start yeah. to look at your processes, look at the way your business works, look at what's happened and try to, one, salvage your reputation and try to make sure you can turn that into an opportunity. Any CEO or think who thinks that they're going to use media time or exposure in, on social media during a crisis to say yeah. how great they are in my opinion, is mistaken and cruising for a bruising. <laughs> yeah, you use some great terminology from the 80s here, but I suppose this, I always always kind of struggle with this idea that all advertising is good advertising, kind of like, you know, to your point, it's like there are times when you just stay laser focused. And I, I love your point about that arc or the curve that, you know, this is not a time to try to seek some advantage. This is a time to focus on how do you resolve the issue 
how do you communicate that, you know, first of all, you know, you recognize what's happened, you recognize it's not okay. You talk about the steps you've taken and you make sure it doesn't happen again. Simon, we are, as I knew would happen, we're out of time here. Um, again, the first episode was really a focus on this front foot, right? You know, brands that storytell with this kind of very, uh, you know, kind of optimistic, you know, again, forward momentum. But what I wanted to deal with today, and I think you've done a great job is, of course, there were things that hit us left and right in this hyper sensitive, I would say, and kind of a world in which we just have to really think hard about the things that we say and do. Um, and Simon, I just want to thank you for joining us from the UK today, I think from the Cotswolds. Um, and I really appreciate you joining us on the Market Mojo podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Simon.